0: The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So glad that you have joined us for this Pentecost Sunday. It's a big deal around here and we're going to dive into that story in a little bit. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it up and let's go to Acts chapter 2 as we look at the, the story of the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, Acts Chapter Two. But before we dive into the story this morning, I want to just give you a little bit of a a, a family update, a little family business here about where we stand financially as we come here toward the the end of the second quarter, as we enter into the summer months uh, this year. Um, I want to let you know, first of all, some really great news. Over the course of these first five months of the year, we've had 75 new givers, new individuals or families who have stepped up to give, to support the work of IBC, to engage in that way for the very first time. And I think that's worth celebrating. If you're one of those 75 in the room, we're so grateful that you're here and that you're plugged into what God is doing here at IBC. Now, with that, there's also, as you might imagine, then some not so great news. Um, Just want to let you know kind of where we find ourselves at this point in time. uh, As we look back, compared to where we were this time last year, we're running about 10% behind in year-over-year comparison now, the way that's played out for us is over the first quarter of the year, we really were tracking kind of flat with where we were this time last year. Everything was looking really good. But as we entered into the second quarter last year, what we saw was a pretty significant uh, upswing in, in giving in, in Q2 of uh, last year. But this year, we've kind of continued to stay at that same level, which puts us at a place coming here to the, to the end of month of May, the beginning of the month of June, at a place where we're about 10% behind year over year. Now, that's not a a crisis for us, but it is something that is of concern, something to pay attention to, especially knowing that we're going into the summer months, which for us tends to be a little bit of a lull in giving as folks are off on vacation, traveling, that we tend to see a little bit of a lull over the course of the summer months. So I wanted to just come to you this morning and let you know where we are and to ask a few things of you. First of all, just to ask you to pray that we believe that God is the one who ultimately supplies the needs of his church And so would you just pray that he would do that? Would you pray that he would stir in the hearts of people who are able to step up and give and and make sacrificial faithful giving a priority here at IBC? So would you you join us together in prayer? We're going to do that together actually in just a moment. The second thing was just to ask you to consider your giving. If you're here and you're a part of IBC but you haven't been giving, we just ask what you would consider being one of those that would step up and for the first time uh, maybe give or, or, or maybe more consistently to give to the work of God here at IBC. If you are giving, would you consider, is there a possibility that during this season you might be able to do a little bit more to help us to kind of uh, bridge that gap here just a little bit? So would you consider your giving? And, and one very practical way that you might consider that is by setting up reoccurring giving that you can go to the website, irvingbible.org slash give and you can set it up where it just automatizes that whole process for you. It makes it easier on you and it also allows us, especially in those months that we tend to see a little bit of a lull to know that we've got that kind of consistent uh, giving coming in. And so would you consider doing that? The third thing is just to invite you to come and be a part of our um, mid-year update. That's coming up on June the 26th, right after this 1045 service. That's an opportunity for us to do a little bit deeper dive into some of the details of where we find ourselves financially, and so we just invite you to come out, participate in that. We'll spend just a few minutes together after the 1045 service, giving you a a bit more detail on our financial situation, as well as just um, letting you know and celebrating together some of the really great things that God is doing in our midst and through our ministry uh, here at Irving Bible Church. We are a family. We're in this together, and as a family, we get the opportunity to, to help support the, 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 the work of this family and to help fund the mission of God in the world. And so would you join me together as we just spend a moment together as a family praying for God's provision? Let's pray together. Father, we know ultimately that uh, you are the one who supplies the needs of your church. And Father, we know that you are um, limitless in your supply of resources. God, ultimately all we are and all we have belongs to you. And so, Lord, we know that you can supply our needs. We know that you will supply our needs, the needs of your people. But, Lord, you do that through people. And so we pray, God, that you would just stir in the hearts of uh, individuals and families that call this place home, that call this place their church family. God, that we would do what we can to play our part in, uh, in helping to uh, make possible all the, the things that you are doing in our midst and all the things that you were doing through this church in the world. And God, we thank you that we can now come together and, and, and turn our hearts and our minds towards your word. We pray, Lord, that in these coming moments that you would speak to us. As we consider the birth of the church. As we consider the coming of the Holy Spirit. into the lives of those first followers of Jesus. And what that means for us today. God, would you, would you move? Would you speak? And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We give this time to you now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. This morning is Pentecost Sunday, and, and while Pentecost doesn't have quite the same kind of cultural gravity of a Christmas or an Easter, the reality for us as followers of Jesus is that for us, this day, this Pentecost Sunday is, theologically speaking, every bit as big a deal. As Christmas and Easter. At Christmas, we we celebrate the incarnation, the coming of Christ in the world, his taking on flesh to dwell among us. At Easter, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. after, After suffering on the cross on our behalf, he has triumphed over sin and death through his resurrection. But the Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday that we celebrate the birth of the church through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And were it not for Pentecost, were it not for the coming of the Spirit, that all that Christ came to accomplish would stand outside of us. But it is God's Spirit who takes what Christ has done and applies it to your life and mine and creates this beautiful mess, as we talked about earlier, that is the church And so today we come, this Pentecost Sunday, to to look at the story of that very first day, the birthday of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole stream of the Christian tradition They call themselves the Pentecostals. They're the ones who, they say, we want to be Pentecost people. That they focus a lot of their attention on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we got some Pentecostals in our midst and it feeds our worship. And there's a lot for us to learn from that stream of the Christian tradition. But oftentimes the focus is on the presence and the power of the Spirit but we also need to think about the purpose of the Spirit. That We, we come to this story this morning. It's, it's a strange story. If, you, if you're new to the church, when we read it in a minute, you're going to kind of go, yeah, that, that sounds a little strange. If it's not strange to us, it's probably because it's just become a little too familiar for us. But we see this strange story. We, we see the presence and power of the Holy Spirit on display. But we need to ask the question, what's the purpose of this display of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? We, we see something miraculous, and yet there's more to it than merely a miracle. We ask, what is the meaning in the miracle? You see, because I believe that, that this story we're going to look at, its beauty and its meaning is found precisely in it's strangeness. What is the purpose of this expression of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? What is the meaning in this miracle? Because friends, I, I think that if you want to see the heart of God for the church, you look at Pentecost. I believe that if you want to see God's priorities for the church, you look at Pentecost. Pentecost. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it means for us to be Pentecost-shaped people and a part of a Pentecost-shaped church. So let's look at the story together. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? mean that's a pretty reasonable question after that scene right what does this mean what 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 is going on what's happening here well to to understand the story first we have to understand pentecost pentecost um this is the the festival of shavuot the feast of weeks as it's talked about in the old testament shavuot is a harvest festival and it occurs 50 days after the passover And so this uh, celebration 50 days after Passover, the Greek name was Pentecost, which means 50 days. For the old covenant people of God, the Old Testament, this celebration of Shavuot, this celebration of Pentecost, was the commemoration of the day that God gave the law to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. And so it's interesting to note that the significance of that day, that Pentecost day... For the old covenant people of God was the giving of the law. The same day that we now as new covenant people of God celebrate the giving of the Spirit. But but, but part of what you have to see in this story is the idea that this festival of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, was one of the great pilgrim festivals of the people of Israel. That means faithful Jews from from all over that region of the world would travel, make pilgrimage, as they were able, to Jerusalem for this great festival. So once again, like we talked about with the Passover, the population of the city city, swells by the thousands. You've got people from all over the known world who have made the journey there to Jerusalem. And so that's the, the, the context in which this whole story plays out. Now you have these believers, these followers of Jesus, who have assembled together on this Pentecost day. And as they're assembled together, they start to feel this violent wind shaking the room. And then we see this depiction of tongues of fire to come and rest over each of them. This is, admittedly, the place where the story starts to get weird, right? This is strange. I mean, I don't know the church you grew up in, but this doesn't look like a typical Sunday in the church that I grew up in, let me tell you. What's going on? These tongues of fire over people's heads. What is happening right now? Well, it's in the strangeness that we find the beauty and the meaning. As careful readers of the Bible, we've talked about before, when you come across something strange like this, the first question you're supposed to ask is have I seen anything remotely like this before? And when you ask that question, the, the sort of first pass is, well, no, nothing exactly like this, like nothing with tongues of fire over individuals. And yet, the careful reader of the Bible will note that you've seen the image of fire in multiple places throughout the Old Testament story. That this image of fire represents the very presence of God himself. Moses encounters the presence of God. Here's the voice of God at a bush that's on fire, but not consumed. The people of Israel are, are led out into the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The people of Israel assembled there at Mount Sinai to receive the law from God and, and God's presence comes and envelops the whole mountain and it looks like the mountain is on fire. And then the, the, the tabernacle, the, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God comes and descends on the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then eventually in the temple of Jerusalem. The temple in biblical imagination this is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the very dwelling place of God. One of the most tragic scenes in all the Old Testament is that scene where the, 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 the cloud, the, the, the fire of God's presence departs from the temple, leaving the people to wonder will God ever return to his people? Will they ever come back here? And here's the thing. In the Old Testament story, the old covenant people of God, the, the manifest presence of God. Right? God who is present in all of his creation. But the, the manifest presence of God was there in the Holy of Holies. You might think of it, if you think of the fire as God's presence, you might think of the Holy of Holies as the fireplace. In which God's presence was contained. And people could come there to be near the presence of God. The story of Pentecost is the story that the fire has gotten out of the fireplace and that these tongues of fire that come to rest on each one of these individuals is just a way of saying the spirit has now come to dwell in each one of you and that, that he goes wherever you go. The very presence of God dwells with you. Where you go, he is. You don't come here now together to a place to experience God's presence. You go and take God's presence with you everywhere you go. Some of you have heard me talk about um, in the past uh, a great resource when you're studying the Bible um, uh, that's put together by my friend and, and our elder here at IBC, John Dyer. John Dyer has put together a resource that you can find at yallversion.com. Right, you, you, you may be familiar with the very popular Bible app, YouVersion. Well, this is Y'all Version, And what this does, is it actually helps us to see what in a typical English translation we might sometimes miss. Because standard English has just a, a, a same way of expressing you singular and you plural, right? Second person singular and plural, it's both you. But here in Texas, we have a good way of expressing it with the word y'all. The yallversion.com actually allows you to customize it based on your, uh, uh, your uh, uh, geography throughout the United States or even in places around the world. To be able to see what we sometimes miss in standard English translations where we read it and we think it's about me, and miss that it's about us. And one of my very favorite places in looking at the y'all version is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Where Paul says to those early followers of Jesus, don't y'all know that y'all are God's temple. And that God's spirit lives in y'all. Now, this is a big deal. In fact, one of my favorite things to do when I get the opportunity, as I've had occasionally, to teach the Bible in the Holy Land, right? To go to the places where this stuff happened and be able to open up the scriptures and teach there. I mean, it's unbelievable experience. But one of my favorite devotionals to do in the land is actually on Palm Sunday Road. So we take our group down the road, down the Mount of Olives. Uh, that Jesus would have taken on Palm Sunday to enter into the city of Jerusalem. As we're making our way down Palm Sunday Road, there's this beautiful little park just above uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where we stop and do a devotional overlooking the Temple Mount. Now, the Temple Mount, again, in, in Jewish imagination, this was the place where the temple used to be. This was the place where the presence of God used to dwell. And the people of Israel are heartbroken because the top, of the, dome, uh, the top of the temple mount right now is with the dome of the rock. And so the people of Israel, they come to the Wailing Wall. This old wall that, that's all that's left of the ancient temple. And it's the closest they can get to the location of the Holy of Holies. And they come there and they pray. And they stick their little prayers in the cracks in the wall. You may have seen pictures of the Wailing Wall. Maybe you visited there yourself. And so um, both the the, the Jewish people and the Muslim people see this as as this incredibly holy site. But I take this group of pilgrim Christians and gather them in that place overlooking the Temple Mount. And I take them to this passage. Don't y'all know that y'all are the temple? And the Holy Spirit dwells in y'all. The personal presence of God is no longer contained in one place that we have to go to. But it is instead contained in each of our lives as followers of Jesus. And we take it with us wherever we go. Don't y'all know that y'all, the Holy or the temple, the presence of the Spirit dwells in y'all. And then the story goes on from, from this first place that's rather strange to things get a little stranger, right? That these who now have been filled by the Holy Spirit begin to preach the gospel, but they begin to preach the gospel in languages that they've never learned. These are a bunch of people from the Galilee. They're from the sticks. These are country folk. And they've come to, the, to, to Jerusalem and they've now been filled by the Holy Spirit and they start preaching the gospel in other languages. And once again, when, when, we, when we see this, Strange manifestation of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We have to ask not just is this the presence and power, but the purpose of the presence of the power, right? We have to ask not just is this merely a miracle, but what's the meaning in the miracle? And the meaning is in the overcoming of the language barrier to preach the gospel to people who have come from what Luke says, every ethnos under heaven. Now, these are Jewish people, so they do have this Jewish ethnic heritage. And yet, they come from all over different parts of the known world at the time. They they come from places of cultural, uh, social, linguistic differences. In fact, Luke goes out of his way to mention 15 specific sociolinguistic categories to describe those who hear the gospel message and receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. This is the birth of the multi-ethnic church, the, 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 those who hear the message in their own tongue on that day are people that are from, uh, from Africa, from Asia, and from Europe. I, I got I to gotta just confess to you, I get a little jealous every time I read this story about just their ability to start preaching the gospel in, in languages that they never studied, that they never learned. In theory, I have learned six languages in my lifetime. Right? English, my native language. I, I, in high school and in college, I studied Spanish. And then in, uh, in seminary, I studied Greek and Hebrew. And in my PhD, I studied French and German. Right? In theory, I know six languages. But I can't speak a lick of hardly any of them. Right? <laughs> my Spanish is practically limited to um, hablo espanol un poquito. Right? Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. I can usually listen and kind of make my way through, but I can't... And these, here are these people, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, speaking the gospel in languages that they never learned. Because, friends, this is the birth of the multi-ethnic church. If we were to take these 15 distinct sociolinguistic groups that Luke mentions by name and put them on a modern map, what you would find... Is that assembled there together are Iranians, Iraqis, Kuwaitis, Syrians, Israelis, Turks, Egyptians, Libyans, Italians, Greeks, and Saudi Arabians. This is the birth of the multi-ethnic church. People ask, why is this whole idea of becoming a more fully multi-ethnic church such a big deal at IBC? Because it was a big deal on day one. If you want to know the heart of God for the church, look at Pentecost. Pentecost. If you want to know the priorities of God for the church, look at Pentecost. And what you see when you look at Pentecost is the church born on the day of Pentecost is a beautiful multi-ethnic church. The reason that it's such a big deal for us here at IBC. It's been a big deal to the heart of God from the very beginning. The commission of Jesus is go and make disciples, pontita ethnic, of all nations, of all nations ethnicities. And here we see the fruit of that begin to be born on day one. The beautiful multi-ethnic church. Now, I think it's important that we recognize that as we name off those places, Iranians, Iraqis, Kuwaitis, Syrians, Israelis, Turks, Egyptians, Libyans, Italians, Greeks, and Saudi Arabians, that we just acknowledge that those parts of the world need people who are willing to to go there and take the gospel to those parts of the world and my hope and my prayer that maybe God would even raise up some from within our midst as he has done so faithfully through the years calling men and women sitting in this room to go to the difficult parts of the world to bring the message of the gospel but we would miss something very important if we didn't recognize that most of us who are here today are here Because people from that part of the world brought the gospel here. And now, here we are in Irving, Texas. One of the most ethnically diverse cities in the nation. To recognize God has brought the nations to us. And then we have an opportunity to pursue his heart and his purpose. As we pursue more and more becoming a beautiful multi-ethnic church that reflects the community that God has called us to. Now what happens here is that in the midst of all the chaos of this preaching of the gospel in multiple different languages. People that are looking on are going, what is happening here? And some of them say, are these people all drunk? Right? Just sort of babbling on? And then Peter steps up. In verse 14. Then Peter stood up in the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Now, I I think, first of all, it's worth noting. This is pretty remarkable. Here's Peter, who seven weeks earlier went in the courtyard on the night in which Jesus was arrested and was asked by a little girl, weren't you one of the ones who was with him? Peter calls down curses and says, I don't know the man. And now seven weeks later, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter finds the courage to step up in front of this enormous crowd that has assembled there and preach the gospel to them. This is Peter's first spirit-filled sermon. And he preaches the gospel and, and he quotes from the prophet Joel. And I think we see something once again near to the heart of God, part of the purpose of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in this passage from Joel. And if you have a, a pen or a pencil, I want you to mark some words and phrases here. I will, in, my, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, mark those words, all people. now, I think part of what we have to recognize is that here all people doesn 't mean every single human being but seems to indicate all kinds of people, all nations that, that here on the day of Pentecost, we get these fifteen different linguistic groups that that Luke says represent all nations of course this is sort of divinely inspired hyperbole and yet the the diversity of the known world at the time is assembled there and here's the gospel message this is once again a way of underscoring the significance of the church born on the day of pentecost it's a beautiful multi-ethnic church i will pour out my spirit on all people the second thing i want you to underscore is these words your sons and your daughters prophesy underscore those words sons and daughters that this church that's born on the day of pentecost is a church where both men and women are filled with the holy spirit both women and men are given gifts by the holy spirit for the good of the church that women and men together proclaim god's word to god's people proclaim god's message to the world And this is one of the things that that is a distinctive of Irving Bible Church that that we want to be a church that encourages, that empowers, that equips both men and women to exercise their gifts for the good of the whole body and for the good of the world. That for far too long, the the, the church has, has tried to squelch women from using the gifts that God has given them. Women of the church, we need you, we need your gifts. We need your heart. We need your mind. We need your courage. We need you to lead. We need you to exercise the gifts that God has given you for the good of this entire congregation and for the sake of the world. Sisters, we need you. Men of the church, we need you. We need you to to follow passionately after Jesus. We need you to to use your spiritual gifts for the building up of this body. We need you to play your part, the part that only you can play in the mission of God in the world. We need you. The church born on the day of Pentecost is a church where both men and women together proclaim God's word to the world exercising their gift for the building up of the body and the proclamation of the gospel. We need you. Next, underscore the words in the next sentence. Your young men will see vision and your old men will dream dreams. Underscore young men and old men. That just as the church that's born on the day of Pentecost is this beautiful multi-ethnic church, so too the church born on the day of Pentecost is a beautiful multi-generational church. And we have work to do as a congregation here at IBC to make sure that we are a flourishing multi-generational church where there is meaningful ministry that's happening, meaningful community that's happening, meaningful mission that's happening for people at every age and stage of their life here at Irving Bible Church. That every bit as important as the multi-ethnic vision of God, so too this multi-generational calling of the church. And that we want to be a people that equip and empower young people, older people, young people. We need you. And there's many of them who are not here in the room this morning because they got on a bus this morning at 745, all our high school students heading off to high school camp. Would you just join me in praying that that God might speak to them this week about their part to play in the life of this church and the mission of God in the world? We need younger people. A case can be made that um, the first disciples of Jesus were in their late teens when Jesus called them to follow. Those who were entrusted with the mission of God to change the world were young adults. Young people, we need you. Older people, we need you. You have been given gifts by God. You have lived life. You have experience and wisdom gleaned through the years that we need. We need you to invest your lives in the next generation. We need you to to share your stories and your experiences, to share your wisdom. I need you. And I know that we have work to do in being a flourishing multi-generational church with our older folks in the church, but I want you to hear: we see you, we value you, we appreciate you, and we need you. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, your young men will see vision, your old men will dream dreams. If you want to know the heart of God for the church, look at Pentecost. If you want to know the priorities of God for the church, look at Pentecost. And the church that's born on the day of Pentecost is a beautiful, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that empowers both men and women to use their gifts for the building up the body and God's mission in the world. That's what God wants for us here at Irving Bible Church. Now, Peter gets to the end of his message and he says, everyone, he quotes Joel, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And 3,000 people respond and give their lives to Jesus, want to trust and follow him. And I tell you, folks, I, I read that and I would love to have one of those kind of altar calls one day as a preacher. I mean, I'm just telling you. But I want you to see then what happens at the very end of this chapter. As we finish this morning, I want to hover on the last two verses. Verse 46. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to to leave this room, to go out in the town square, to celebrate Pentecost together as as a church family by literally breaking bread together. We have 21 different kinds of bread representing 19 or 20 different cultures, different nations. It's just an opportunity for us to remember God's heart for the nations and the reality that God has brought the nations here to celebrate the beautiful diversity that's already here in the life of this church at IBC. And so we're gonna go out and we're gonna break bread together. But I don't want you to miss that very last line. And the Lord added to their number daily those are being saved. Friends, if you want to know the heart of God for the church, if you want to know the purpose of God, the priorities of God for the church, look at Pentecost. And what do you see the result of Pentecost? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved why am I so passionate about the multi-ethnic church? Why am I so passionate about about empowering both men and women to use their gifts for the building of the church and the mission of God in the world? Why am I so passionate about us growing as as a flourishing multi-generational church? Because I'm passionate about seeing people saved. This word saved, this Greek word sozo, it, it, it implies the idea of being rescued, to being rescued from sin and self it implies the notion of being healed, healed from all the ways this life and this world has wounded you. And Peter says, and all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, that there is salvation available to all who will receive it. And it's available through Jesus, through trusting in what he has done on our behalf, that he has come, that we might have salvation, that we might have rescue from sin and self Rescue from death itself, that we might have healing, healing from all the ways this world, this life have hurt us. That is available to us. It begins with us a trusting in what Christ has done for us. At IBC, we don't have long extended emotional altar calls. We believe that that when, when you're ready, you'll come. When God stirs in you, you are come. When you're ready to say, I want to trust and follow Jesus, you'll come. There's salvation available to all who will receive rescue from sin and self, healing from all the ways that this life in this world have harmed us. And it's available to us through Jesus. If you want to see what's near to the heart of God for the church, If you want to see the the priorities of God for the church, look at Pentecost. And we want to be Pentecost-shaped people who are part of a Pentecost-shaped church. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.